Welcome to the final episode of the On Call Empath of 2020. I wanted to make this episode very special, especially going into the new year. I want to thank you all for being here on my journey, um, each and every one of you for tuning in, and this podcast has grown so much. I am so excited for 2021 and what's to come. The guests are going to be bigger from around the world, and this episode, we're going to be focusing on basically forgiveness, abandonment, creating healthy boundaries, people that are, you know right out of divorce or just single and feeling lonely. If you feel disconnected, you're not alone. I wanted to create this particular episode with somebody who understands it. That's a relationship specialist, a divorce specialist that has been through her herself. She's going to be sharing her tragic story with the world. You do not want to miss this episode. Thanks again for being a great loyal listener of this podcast, The On Call Empath. I will not forget it. You guys are never alone. So onward to 2021. Let's get started. You're listening to the On Call Empath Show. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the On Call Empath. I am so glad that you guys all made it with me this whole year. Uh, We are heading into the New Year's, and I wanted to bring someone really special who can kind of help us deal with all this uh, craziness that's going on. My guest today is Terry Vanover. She's a divorce relationship specialist uh, strategist. Um, She's going to talk about her own story about abandonment, poverty, sexual abuse. She is also the founder of Choosing to Rise. She coaches men and women uh, to overcome their setbacks, create healthy relationships, and find happiness and peace. And uh, she is also a co-author of two women's empowerment books. Terry, Happy New Year. How are you doing today? Welcome to this episode. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's exciting. Like I said, like what a way to end this year. (laughs) It's been a hell of a year. (laughs) It has. And a lot of people that especially tuning in the empaths, you know, highly sensitive people, you know, a lot of them have been kind of just indoors and, you know, they're, they're stressed out. And so I figured, you know, what better way just to bring someone that knows just about relationships and dealing with people. And, you know, I wanted to just get all of your take on everything that you do and, and just kind of start off from the beginning and how you got into, um, you know, what you do as far as divorce and relationship strategist. Um, if you want to start off by just telling me a little bit about you and how you got into all of this. Yeah, I appreciate that, Raj. And listen, I want to say I really appreciate what you do. I I really commend you as a man coming out, speaking about these issues, shining light on these issues, especially for men. They don't really have a voice yes. when it comes to trauma and mental health and, and getting support. So I just want to want to thank you for giving me this opportunity and, and thank you for giving a voice to those that need it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, you know, I grew up just a a poor country girl from Virginia. You can probably tell from my accent. (laughs) Kind of of within the first 30 seconds, the question is, where are you from? Even though I live in Chicago. (laughs) 
And, you know, right. it was, um, you know, a pretty turbulent childhood. My parents divorced. I think I was three or four. I had an alcoholic father. My biological father abandoned us shortly after their divorce. My mom, you know, had very little education and she was a single mom struggling with two very young, she was a young mom, young children struggling, you know, and I was uh, sexually abused by a family member when I was seven years old and, and just the poverty, the, the just, you know, you know, just insecurity of the way I grew up and, and the abandonment by my father really led to a lot of my feelings of insecurity, um, a sense of uh, shame, lots of like, you know, abandonment and, and lack of, uh, unworthiness as an adult woman, you know, and, you know, where it really manifested itself was in my relationships in particular with, you know, men and my close relationships with men. And I had a tendency to sabotage. Um, I'd find a good man and somehow drive him away. And I got married <laughs> and, you know, is it was the same, you know, I was very needy. I was very controlling, very insecure. And our marriage fell apart after a few short years, kind of repeated my mom's cycle, you know, two young children, divorce, single mom. And within a, a you know, few short months, I became homeless. I was hit by a van while riding my bike. I lost all oh my, my money. It was just like, that year for me of my divorce was like <laughs> lost my mom too actually and so you know so my support system the one woman who I you know would have understood what it was like to be going through that time lost her so you know what I learned though from that Raj is like this is why my logo is the phoenix is because sometimes we have to rise from the ashes I recognized during that time that I had a pattern and, you know, my pattern of loneliness, I was, I was consumed with loneliness during that divorce. But what I recognized, I was lonely during the marriage. And it was finally at that point when I said, you know what, this, this is about you and you've got to change this. And, and I consciously surrendered to it. And that for me was the turning point in my healing was when I stopped running and stopped distracting myself because my my tendency was to go get male attention. I'll be honest. You know, I was like, well, you know, let me go back out there and you know, I'm feeling really bad about myself. It's real easy for me. I'm sure, you know, this was before a lot of like social media and dating apps and all that stuff. But at that time, I, you know, you could go to a club and get a lot of attention and, and those types of things. And that and I, I think for me the turning point was to say, Nope, I'm not doing that. I'm choosing something different. I just consciously surrendered to that loneliness, that desperate loneliness, crying in some strange woman's basement at the time. You know, I was living with someone I didn't know who had taken me and my children in at the time. And and that for me was my turning point in my healing. And I think 2020 for a lot of people, Raj, is going to be their turning point because you know why? There's no more distractions, right? You can't go to work and escape what you've been trying to escape. Your marriage might be falling apart, and that's been a distraction. You know, so I think for, for many people, the pandemic has revealed for them some truths. And, you know, Peter Crone likes to say, life, you know, life presents you with 
people and circumstances and events to show you where you still need to heal. And that's something I've really taken on. And I really think if you look at what is presented in front of you as like, okay, what am I doing? What do I need to grow? What is this person showing me about myself? You use these as opportunities rather than fear and running away and, and, and leaving it. Or, you know, for many people, numbing themselves to it through social media, alcohol, food, whatever it is. I believe we can look at this as an opportunity to heal. I'm glad you mentioned that, and I thank you for coming forward. I mean, everything that you're describing, I know a lot of people that are tuning in today, you know, they they keep saying they keep going back to the same cycle, and, and it's kind of like what you described before you had your turning point. For some people, it might be a spiritual awakening. I mean, for 2020, for me, was one of those years where it was a turning point also. I had to be forced with my thoughts. I had to be forced with thinking exactly what is important to me. And, um, I mean, after everything that you've been through, um, and all the, the, the traumatic poverty, alcohol, father molestation, you were able to turn it around and, and you had an aha moment when you hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I ask you like, what actually was the, that moment that you were like, okay, if I don't, if I don't change now at this moment. You know, I'm not going to make it. What was what was that time? Do you remember where you were and what you were what was going through your head? Yeah, I was just I was just in that that basement. Um, the woman at the time she had this you know basement where you know, and I would watch a lot of like sad sad documentaries. That, I don't know. That was maybe my escape <laughs> at the time, and and I just had recognized that the loneliness, you know, I just, it just kind of sometimes things hit us. And I recognized that the loneliness kept chasing me, you know, no matter what I did, you know, no matter who I dated or, you know, here I was married and still lonely. And now I'm divorced and I'm still lonely. And um, I think the turning point for me was to, to recognize that I had control over this. You know, the first step was just consciously surrendering to the feeling of loneliness. I think we escape it. We're afraid of the pain. We're afraid of it. And I, and I get that. I really, really do. But it was in surrendering to the loneliness and allowing myself to feel the loneliness and wallow in that loneliness for a while. What I recognized was that I didn't love myself. And I was using men to love me to make myself feel better. And I realized Girl, you don't love yourself. You don't. You don't feel lovable. And even more, deeper, I don't feel lovable. And I put the two and two together that it was my father leaving me because I think there was a part of me that felt like, well, if my own father can't love me, how can anyone love me? You know, if my own father rejects me, and I think that's why for me, seeking that male attention and that male validation was really important. And I see that with my clients too. A lot of, a lot of the male clients are seeking female validation for, mm -hmm. for very yes. similar results. A parent rejected them. So, you know, if they're in a hetero, heterogeneous relationship, they look for, for female validation. Yes. I find that very interesting. We, we attract who, you know, we most grew up with, whether it's a, a mother or father abusive, you know, um, uh, old boyfriend or girlfriend, we tend to keep going back to the same types 
of people. Um, and that leads me to also leading into people pleasing, setting boundaries. Um, but before I get to that, I want to just ask you, you can still be lonely if you're married or single. It, I mean, because what I'm finding out from a lot of people that I've talked to, uh, many of the listeners are, you know, they've been in a long marriage, but they just lost a spark and they just don't, they feel lonely and they have, you know, everything they need. Uh, but then there's other people that they're, they're happy being single. And uh, they have they have no worries about having to worry about having someone else in their life because they love themselves. So I, I like the fact that you had said, you know, you have to love yourself first before you can give yeah. yourself to somebody. But what is your take on that? Absolutely. And I think I think that's really important when. I actually, you know, that, that's kind of why I've had to kind of say I'm a divorce and relationship strategist, because I get a lot of people that come to me when their marriages are or they're contemplating divorce. And so and I'm I'm not there to judge whether or not it is a right decision for them, but I'm there to help them remove the filters of how they're looking at their partner or what their expectations of their partner are, but their expectations of their partner is to make them feel less lonely, that's an indication you've got some work to do. You know, right. so I've got a I've got a client and I've written about this too, Raj, about the the myths of the five love languages. And for people who've suffered trauma, we tend to mix up those love languages. My love language, I would say, this is in quotes, <laughs> is words of affirmation. And that's that's where that male attention came from. But it was really my trauma just trying to seek love and validation and like, you know, worthiness through, through words. So we have to be really careful about our love languages. And I think sometimes it's, it's misconstrued and people, and people use it as, as a way to like, to, to use against their partners of not getting what they need. Like I have a client who's married and she's struggling in her marriage and she came to me and she was saying, well, my husband doesn't spend enough time with me. My husband doesn't spend enough time with me. And so my love language is time, quality time. But the truth is she hadn't worked through her trauma as a child of being left and isolated for, for you know, massive amounts of time. And that isolation and being alone made her feel invisible. She was looking to this, her husband to make her feel, you know, like he needs to spend all this time with her. and and so. When is enough time? When is it, you know, and it's never going to be enough. There's nothing that he could ever do to fill that void that she's looking. And one of the things I say is that you can't heal internal problems with external solutions. And that's what people try to do. They feel they have this void. So if I make more money or I get a better job or I mm. this partner, <laughs> it'll make me when feel something better else off. happens in the future. Mm -hmm. That that's when I'll be happy, but that mm -hmm. that doesn't happen, unfortunately, in life. <laughs> yeah, and so it's really important that we understand when we're in a relationships to lift the filters of of like what our expectations are and what our needs are, because I really feel like if more people would do the inner work on themselves, more relationships would would last because they wouldn't be so dependent on their partner for something that they can give to themselves. So I teach my my, the people that I work with, I teach them how to love themselves unconditionally and give themselves what it is they're seeking from other people or, you know, 
material objects. Usually, it is usually relationships. That's what I usually find. Right. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, and and for myself also, um, I know you you have a lot of clients. What would you say would be the number one complaint that comes across? You know, um, as far as like men and women, like what do you think's like the number one thing that kind of uh, that you that you come across with your clients? I would say, you know, what we what we need to talk about, we need to talk about healthy boundaries. We need to talk about what that looks like for men and women. And again, it goes to loving and valuing yourself. Those that don't love and value themselves don't know how to create healthy boundaries and keep those healthy boundaries. And I, and I have a, have a three-step kind of process that I use. You know, the first is clarifying what's a boundary for you and what's a boundary for Terry might be different than it is for Raj and that's okay, but we have to get clear on what our boundaries are and then communicating them and then, and then sticking to them and upholding those boundaries. And people really struggle with that. And one of the stories that I tell people is well, there's a couple things. <laughs> I think people think of no as negative, but I, I I would say no is an act of love. Saying no is an act of love. It's an it's an act of integrity, of honesty, and it's an act of love. When that toddler is going towards the stove and you say no, you're protecting that that child. You're you're protecting them. And so we have to use that no as an act of love for ourselves. I'm going to just switch gears here for a second because I know that you really are passionate about this next subject uh, or this next question is, you know, there's a lot of nice guys out there and I'm wondering myself because I think I used to be one of them, but, but I've, you know, I've been listening and listening to a lot of podcasts and reading books, but what is your take on nice guys and why do they always finish last? if, If that's a fair statement to say. It's funny to hear this from a woman, right? I think I think that surprises <laughs> people when a woman, you know, I run I run a you know Facebook group with with thousands and thousands of men, and I've done a mm-hmm. lot of like research and training and and things like that. And so let me define what a nice guy is. And a nice guy is has a great heart and would do anything for you, but doesn't have healthy boundaries. And a good guy. Is, has a great heart and, and would do anything for you, but has good, solid boundaries and knows himself. And the thing, the thing with being a nice guy and why it destroys relationships is because nice guys, like, like we've been talking about, Raj, they don't tap into themselves and they're not honest. They're not honest with themselves and they're not honest with others. And especially they rely on, usually it's a female partner to, to give them the validation. And often they'll, they'll gravitate towards more controlling women, more, you know, strong women, which is great. I'm strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but it's going to be over, overly dominant or give away a lot of their power in the relationship to her in, in that need to make her happy. And so they end up sacrificing a lot of their own happiness to make her happy. Which in a which in a relationship is a compromise, but a healthy relationship is is one in which two people are happy. And you know, I I want my husband to be happy. I'm remarried, and I want my husband to be happy. I don't want him to feel like he has to stuff down his own feelings because I am a strong woman or I have strong opinions myself. 
in order to make me happy. And oftentimes that's what nice guys do. And they have a lot of unhealed issues with, with, with their parents that they haven't worked through. And I've seen that even with, I've got this, this amazing client. And, and I mean, he's like a big, big kind of guy in a business near here. And how it was running his life. It, I mean, and it permeates so many parts of his life because he wasn't truly showing up as who he authentically needs to be, not even in his business. Like, it, you know, he was getting a divorce, but also he was, he would, you know, we were talking about how he would get kind of involved in these kind of micro disagreements at work or whatever. And he's like a big CEO of a company. And it's like, he realized what he was doing. The reason why he was doing that is because it was this immediate gratification to to kind of get that. Oh, see, I'm like a hero here. But the truth, you know, but the truth is it was it was diminishing his power because he's like a, you know, can you imagine like some big CEO coming in and kind of putting out little small fires in the sales department? It would be ludicrous. But it was a way he was kind of nurturing this this kind of ego part of him that needed feeding that he was a hero. He's okay. Look at him. He can, you know, and when he learned, you know, when, when together he and I did the work and he learned how to give himself that his own validation and his own self-love, he could, he could then delegate that responsibility to the people who need to. And then that's what I'm talking about being in your true power, you know, and also it undermined his authority because people would come to him behind each other's backs and blah, blah. And it just set up this dynamic. And it was like, no, yeah, you've got to, you've got to step into your power. So being a nice guy, and it's kind of a convoluted way to explain that, but being a nice guy, it diminishes your power in a certain respect because a nice, you know, a, a powerful CEO like that should say, yeah, no, not my problem. You need to go to the HR department and work that out. Right. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I haven't heard that, especially from a relationship specialist. That's a very interesting uh, topic that you're talking about because normally when you're a CEO, you're giving orders all day long and you're like the man on top. And then when you come home, it's like the roles are reversed and it's just crazy how it's so common, but it's just not talked about just, mm-hmm. just with men's health and, and all that is kind of not macho. And, you know, we want, you know, for men to cry or show emotions, it's, it's just not accepted wide range yet, but, uh, hopefully we can oh, have an open discussions and have more podcasts, um, to talk about this because it is okay. We're all, you know, men are human and they have emotions um, just like women do. And uh, I'm glad that you were able to bring up that side of, uh, of the, of that uh, situation. Definitely. And I think, I think you're right, Raj. I think we, we do. This is why I wanted to, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing because we're not talking about this, especially with, with men. I get invited way more on like women podcasts and, and interviews. And, and it's <laughs> and, but when I go, like I was recently featured on a news story. And when I go on that, I'm like so excited when men are talking about this and men are talking about feelings because I actually run a women's and a men's group. And, and what surprises people, the question they ask me, well, do the men even talk? And I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> They See that's talk. that's what's interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because because there isn't a safe platform for men to share, but if you provide a safe platform 
like 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 our um, divorce support group, they really open up and the camaraderie and the support and like, you know, they'll tell each other, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to let it out. But for men, like men can't go to work and share their problems. Like it's, it's a socially acceptable for women to go to work and say, oh, I'm having, you know, my husband is, you know, you know, we're having trouble or blah, blah, blah. Totally not acceptable for men to do. So we need to make it more, you know, more acceptable for men to share their true feelings in, in, in lots of different areas. I've I've had, you know, therapists and really um relationship coaches on this podcast and they've always, you know, talked about the women's side where, you know, uh, but then for you to bring up this side, I, I'm glad that you were able to do that and and I think it is a very Im- important topic, especially moving forward as as we get uh into relationships, especially for all the men that are listening out there. And I would can I say one more thing about the nice guy syndrome? Yeah, too? sure. I think that's something else that has become over in in the recent modern era. I think we've devalued male friendships or we don't see them as valuable. And I, and I see that men being together and men like supporting and, and allowing each other to be themselves and allowing themselves to open up to each other is is so invaluable and you'll see that too what nice guys tend to not have male friendships they tend to have female friendships. yes mm-hmm. so i would encourage men i encourage my husband i encourage men <laughs> have have good male support have surround yourself with good you know with good male friends because it it, it matters it does matter and we've devalued that in our society and devalued those relationships between men and I'm I'm seeing now how significant it is and how how powerful it is in men's lives. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's thanks for sharing that. And uh, but when it comes to um, having a sound relationship, um, and this is I'm just going to switch gears here for a little bit. I mean, when it comes to sex and intimacy, how do you keep the spark going? And let's say if someone's, you know not satisfying somebody sexually or that, you know, maybe they're cheating on their spouse. Um, in those cases, um, what's, what, how many people do you, have you, uh, like dealt with that, that have come to you and say, you know, I love her, but you know, it's, we're not compatible in bed or how important is that? Would you say in a relationship? You know, honestly, I think that depends on the individual. To some people, it's very important. And to others, it's not as important. So this is where that healthy communication comes into play. And relationships are about compromise. It's about learning your own needs and learning your own expectations and communicating those needs and those expectations to your partner. And I will say that men and women tend to have different views of intimacy too. For for many women, again, we're generalizing here. So let's, well, I'm just going to say that this is a general statement. It's not right, a blanket, men or yeah. women. <laughs> but, you know, for women, they need to feel that connection first in order to be intimate. And often it's the reverse for men. They need that physical connection and then they feel the more emotional connection. So, so sometimes working that balance 
can be a tricky, tricky thing. And so if you can communicate and work through those things, again, it all goes back to you working on yourself and understanding your own needs. And I think it's really, really important that we all, I'm a big meditator. Whatever you practice, whether it's prayer or meditation, just going out and walking in nature and tuning into yourself. I just think it's really important that we take some time and reflect some quiet time and intentional quiet time every single day so that we can know ourselves. And then if we have a partner, communicate that in a way. And I talked about this, I think, was it yesterday in my groups or something about that um, communication from that grown up self versus that wounded inner self. Right. So that little that little girl in me sometimes will will peek out. I'll be honest, Raj, I'm not perfect. I'm human. I call it the like wounded, like little inner girl that comes out and, and it's, and it's a different energy. She's kind of crying out. She's kind of like, I need this, like from my husband, rather than um, what I teach my clients to do those that are married or in, you know, good relationships or, you know, uh, deep relationships, you know, we talk about like a request versus a complaint. So that's a big thing. And I, I, when we come from that, that neediness too, and that desperation of like, if you don't give me this, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> a whole different energy. Right. So we need to tap into that and know where is mm-hmm. this coming from? Is this coming from that wounded little place or is this coming from a grown mm-hmm. up adult partner, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason why I asked you that particular question is because we're surrounded by it. I mean, if you go on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, they're always picturing like, okay, women should be like this, guys should be like this. And they try to, try to you know, play those roles. Um, and then when it comes to dating, I mean, even the way all these apps are designed where you just flip like a screenshot based on someone's look, you have no idea what's behind that picture. And all you do see is the physical part of it. And I think mm-hmm. that's what this landscape is heading towards. Like in the future, I don't, you know, the, there's no compatibility other than, you know, looks, I mean, there has to be more um, than just physical appearance and, you know, what you're standing in front of a, like a, like a hundred thousand dollar car or, you know, you're wearing like really nice stuff and you're attracting those people to get attention. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of people that I've, uh, you know, spoke to um, that listen to the show, I mean, they've had the worst experiences on dating apps and it's always ended up in disaster where they become a stalker or that they're just mentally not there, unstable, you know, emotionally just, you know, just has a lot of issues that they need to work on. So let me ask you this. What do you see for the future as far as like, let's say somebody's divorced and they're looking to go back into the, you know, the dating pool. Um, would you recommend going through the traditional like online dating? How do you meet good people, especially during a pandemic when we're all trapped in our houses? How do you meet quality people? I do think the dating apps offer an alternative and a, and a, and a, you know, gentle way to meet people that maybe ordinarily you wouldn't meet. Um, I I think there's lots of opportunities too. I also think that, you know, one of the things is meet up when we were meeting up in person, <laughs> you know, that was great. Cause you, you, cause you could then, you yeah, know, that five minute dating. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could join, you could join groups where people had similar interests. 
And I think that is a really great way to find, you know, find, find groups where there's similar interests. You know, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the dating apps. I think what happens is that people haven't done necessarily the work on themselves before they get into the dating pool. And I believe we attract the mirrors of where we are in our own healing. So you're going to continue to attract the ding-dongs if you have not done work (laughs) on yourself, you know, and you wonder why. Well, you know, because you're still putting up the same BS. You know, I had a a client and she, um, so here's where (laughs) we, she had clarified, (laughs) she was working with me, Claire, she was in the dating, she had met a guy on a dating app. And well, here's the thing too. When she first went into the dating pool, this is why she actually originally hired me because you know what? She was afraid to up level. She said, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I, and, and this is no disrespect, but she was, she was devaluing who she would date. She would, and this is, these are her words, but like date people like beneath her, like, you know, educationally, you know, um, you know, economically, socio, you know, because, you know, she was afraid of meeting someone who had her same education or higher education level and career, who was ambitious in his career. So there was a lot of fear. So we worked through that and understood that this goes back to her not loving and valuing herself, right? Because if you love and value yourself, you, you attract, you know, where you are. And so, once she met a guy, though, it was interesting because she had had said what her boundaries were. She she was very clear. I need to physically be with this person. He needs to make time to date me, you know, once to twice a week. That's that's reasonable. That's her boundary. You know, that's OK. That's what you want. And that's what you need in a relationship to feel like, you know, that's a committed relationship. OK, but here's the thing. <laughs> um she started to notice a pattern where he would, you know, not show up last minute or wouldn't make plans with her that week. And after a couple of sessions with her, I, I kind of called her out on it, Raj. I said, well, well, wait a minute, what happened? Why aren't you upholding this boundary? Like, you know, that he's not fulfilling because I always say that you judge people by their actions and not by their words. So we were seeing the pattern there like, oh, he said this, this and this, but his actions are not. He's not committed. He's not showing up twice a week like you want So judge people by their actions, not by their words. And judge people by not by how they make you feel. That's the other mistake that people people make, especially when we have trauma. We judge people by how they make you feel and feelings are fleeting. They're fleeting. (laughs) And what it is. So I said, okay, what is it about this guy? How does he make you feel? And she goes, oh my God, when we're together, I feel like I can be myself. I feel very comfortable. Now, Raj, her story is she came from a background that was like super conservative religious. So that's Um, who she grew up to be. And yeah, and so she was she she still felt that way around her family. She had to kind of like protect herself from her family or hide who she really was from her family. And this guy made her feel really comfortable when they were together. And I was like, that's great that you've identified that. But he's also not following up his 
words with action. So you see him judge people. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's shown you who he is. He doesn't, he's not interested in coming, you know, following up on what he says, da, da, da. But it's really interesting how we have to be careful about those feelings and to really examine, oh, he makes me feel so comfortable. I can be myself around him, which is, you know, I want you to find someone that you can be yourself around. But I also want you to make sure that you're not dismissing the red flags when they appear because Mm -hmm. of the feelings. Yes, absolutely. So wrapping up here as... uh you know, wrapping up this whole year, you know, a lot of people out there are lonely. Maybe they just got out of a divorce or they're just not happy in a relationship. If you can sum up really quick and if you want to just reach out to somebody that's listening on this podcast right now, what is one thing that you can kind of leave us with um, to all the, the listeners before we end this podcast for 2020? You know, from the ashes, you will rise. Transformation is possible. On the other side of pain is peace. On the other side of fear is freedom. So don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid to do the inner work. I, I, you know, I suffered, you know, for years and decades, you know, I've got clients that come to me after their, their second marriage blows up, you know, and we don't have to wait that long. I would say, you know, get help, get support sooner rather than later, because you'll be so happy that you did. Life can be amazing. Even in, in, in this time, like the pandemic, you know, for many people who are at peace and and feel good about themselves, this is this hasn't been that that devastating. So, I would say transformation is possible. Do the inner work, and and you'll be so happy that you did because peace is attainable. But when I say transformation is possible, you know, like I said, I went through two and a half years of hell in my divorce and everything. And I will tell you what I kind of left out of my story is that. My ex-husband, who hated me at the time, which don't blame him, <laughs> but we have put all of that behind us. And like we spend holidays together. We, we buy gifts for each other. You know, we're, we're, we had Christmas together. Everyone looks at us like we're some kind of unicorn dancing in the, you know, because the four of us are tight. You know, the four of us are a foursome as a, a co-parenting group. And it is more possible than most people think. And I, and I get so much resistance to it, but, you know, I am happily remarried and it expanded my family, which I didn't know that was even going to be possible. But, and, and the fact that the four of us really love and support each other, my ex-husband's wife is my best friend. I mean, if, if, if you had told me that when I was crying in that basement, <laughs> I would have looked at you like, <laughs> you would be like, head. yeah, right. <laughs> and when I say wow. transformation is possible, and now I'm teaching other people how to live like this, find happiness and find peace, no matter what you've been through. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it's definitely possible. So yeah, choosing to rise.com. Um, that's, that's where you can get a, a free, you know, if you're a stepmom, I've got a guide for you. If you're going through a divorce, I've got a, a, a seven step guide for you as well. Um, I'm on Facebook. We have a men's divorce support group and we have a women's divorce support group, Rise Above Divorce. You can check those out as well. I'm happy to help out in any way we can. Absolutely.
And you're living proof of it. I mean, after everything you've been through now, you're dedicating your life to helping others, which I commend you for. And the way we can. You know, you're very good at what you do. You understand the subject. So, but thanks again for, you know, coming on my podcast and, you know, um, sharing all your, your personal stories and inspiring all of us. And, and you have a wonderful New Year's. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. And there you have it, guys. Uh, Thank you for being with me for such a long time. And I had a blast this year. Uh, This podcast really means a lot to me. And uh, I thank each and every one of you for coming uh, with me on my journey. And uh, I'd be honored if you can feel free to leave a review on the Apple iTunes. It helps me out to bring more people. Stay tuned for 2021. I got bigger guests from all all over the world you do not want to miss. Don't ever feel like you're alone. We're always with you. Happy New Year 2021. Here we come. We're out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.